0: T.J. would tell you, your singing's pretty good, too. <laughs> there were two boys, brothers, and always getting into mischief, commotion. Mom didn't know what to do with them. Dad didn't know what to do with them. School guidance counselors didn't know what to do with them. School psychiatrists, psychologists didn't know what to do with them. So in desperation, the mom turns to the to the minister, he said, I just don't know what I'm going to do with these boys. <clears throat> My like, wits end, you got to help me. Would you agree to see him and to counsel him? So the minister thought about it and said, Yeah, I'll, I'll agree to do that on one condition. And the condition is that I see the boys one at a time. So the younger brother, Johnny, he was up first. And so his mom took him to the minister's office and uh, dropped him off. And Johnny took a seat in front of the minister and the minister took a seat right up close to his face. And in a very level but firm voice, he said, "Where is God?" And Johnny just froze. No combat, no comebacks at all. So the minister leaned up a little closer and in a very firm and a little louder voice, said, "Johnny, where Is God? And Johnny still had no answer. So the third time, the minister leaned a little further, and this time in a booming voice, very firm Johnny, where is God? Johnny couldn't take it anymore. He broke. Bolted right past the minister, out the door, jumped the steps to the street, fell down and rolled once, got up, sprinted the four blocks home, dashed across the street without looking, up the door, or in the door, up the steps, right past his older brother, Robert, in the bedroom, in the closet, shuts the door. Robert, the older cool brother, what is going on? So he follows Johnny into the room and pulls the closet door open. Johnny, what's going on? What did they do to you there? So Robert said, we're in big trouble this time. God's missing, and they think we had something to do with it. (laughs) time missing for our life. Amen? Amen. I'm uh, real thankful to be part of this retreat this weekend uh, and uh, to have some great teachers here talking to us, to have some great brotherhood going on, some great witnessing to each other. And another thing I'm real thankful for is uh, for all the youth that are here. And I just want to take a couple of minutes before we get started with the panel discussion. To kind of acknowledge them and the people that brought on their dads and uncles and and what have you. But I want to read a couple of scriptures. First one is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. I think about that verse a lot with my own kids and uh, it's real evident uh, with the youth that are here that, uh, that their folks think about these things with them too. So... I'd like to take just a minute to have uh, the youth that are here uh, stand up. And they're, and uh, we have our three uh, speakers for the weekend that have uh, agreed to be our panelists. So with that, uh, Bob and Bill and Winston, would you come on up? And we got some comfortable chairs for you. Just back by the piano already. We may need you to pass the mic back and forth as we get these questions. Well, there, there may be some interaction with um, you all out here. So between the other mic and my mic, we'd like to get that on tape as well. All right. Are you all ready? Okay. Okay. Uh, i got a first question here for Winston. Uh, what are the biggest challenges to biblical discipleship? And as an aside, what derails it?
1: Thanks. I think the... Uh, let, me, let me address the first one. I think the one of the biggest challenges is the tension that God has given us to uh, where we spend our time and our energy all of us only have so much time and energy and uh, so where do we spend that time and there's a tension between how much time do i invest in myself in terms of just my own walk with god and then i've got a wife and i got some kids Now I've got some grandkids. I've got a mother that I'm called to... that's still living, that I'm called to honor. Then I'm called to reach out to a lost world. So I've got non-believing friends. Then I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm called to. And uh, so I've got a, a multitude of roles that God's called me to. And so the challenge is the tension the tension of, of, of the balance of that and that uh, you can't make a law out of it. I, you got, some of you have seen the illustration I used, but I, I visualize it in my own mind if you've got all these roles that God has called us to to, and the very center of it is Christ. And all these roles kind of are there. And I visualize it as a large uh, a balloon filled with water And if I make a decision over here, say, on my business on this side or my work, that's not just going to affect my business. It's going to have a ripple effect on everything else in terms of time and energy and uh, that's what i was referring to a little earlier when i just mentioned briefly the the definition of excellence of you can't plan based upon comparing to other people you got to plan on the basis of your priorities how if i make a decision in business then how is that going to affect everything else in my life and and that then will help me determine how to make that decision and so the tension of Allocating time and so on are, uh, is, uh, I think, the most difficult part because uh, you're dealing with people and um, you're called to serve them and uh, they... Well, let me just ask you. Most, a lot of you guys are married. You ever get up early and go to work, go through the day, and so about 9, 10, whenever it is. I mean, you haven't got anything left in your tank. And you go to bed and your wife wants to talk. And you don't have anything left. And that's when you got to make a decision. Am I going to buck up and, or am I not? And so, people... God, I'm convinced God intentionally brings people into your lives at from our perspective, inappropriate times. That's why the um, the daytimer and the people business are mutually exclusive. I'm not saying don't use the day timer. I'm just saying. the the, the uh, If you're, if you're going to get in the people business, they will destroy the day, day timer on a daily basis. That's the biggest tension. I think the biggest danger... Is to get so wrapped up in doing and neglect being. When I say being, I mean Bob. Uh, Bob talked about it: the um, the prayer life, the time in the Word, not not letting it go to an activity, but a uh, an experience with God. A... Um, an intimacy and cultivating that intimacy, and uh, feeding our souls. And uh, if if that if that doesn't happen, then the rest of it is religious gibberish. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy if we're not careful. And and Bob Bob said this, and I and I uh, I'll say it also. It gets harder as you get over it to keep those disciplines in your life. And that's the danger. Because it's a lot easier to go do things than to be still and know I'm God. Cease striving and know I'm God.
0: OK? Uh, Bill, we got one for you here.
2: Let's hold on to it.
0: Yeah. Bill, we have a follow-up a question, a clarification from your um, talk earlier. Um, So During your talk on purity, you mentioned that there are different degrees of sin. Without being an authority on the subject, I have not found anything in the Bible that suggests anything other than sin is still sin. You mentioned, I think, that through our human understanding, there must be different degrees of sin, that is, murder versus, uh, I believe it was uh, taking a tomato from a rich man. Could you please
3: clarify what you mean by that? Um, yes, well, first of all, we know that all sin is an offense against God. Secondly, that he who breaks the law in any part breaks the whole law. You understand that? Uh, but the third thing is that there are different degrees of sin and different degrees of punishment. I mean, let me give you uh, an illustration most wonderful grandmother in the world commits one sin and she never comes to Jesus Christ and Adolf Hitler who never comes to Jesus Christ. They both go to hell and the grandmother's torment will be terrible but Hitler would give everything He ever owned to have one less sin to be punished for in hell. You understand what I'm saying? Um, And it just stands to reason in terms of the justice of God. We know that in our own human experience that there are gradations of punishment based on knowledge, knowledge of the law, and based on willfulness and based on repetition. In California, they call it the three strikes law. They call it other other places. They call it other things. So it is imperative for for you not to sin to escape it as much as possible. But if if you think that uh, if you think that your experience of sin is going to be all equal. Then that's it. I don't. That's just not what the Bible teaches. I'm happy to hear what the other what the other co-panelists say on that. But are you, do, you, do you at least understand what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, for let me give you an example. There is an, at the end of Proverbs one. Um, there is uh, a point of sin where God says he will cease to hear and will laugh at you now I'm not talking about you as believers but there's a point where God has reached out and and conveyed wisdom to get you to turn around and you refuse to listen and the time will come where God will cease to call to that individual we don't know when that is and it's not the same for every person it does vary but God says, you will call on me and I will laugh. I will hold you in derision just as you hold, held my wisdom in derision.
4: Thank you. Do you mind if I need to read that? Uh, got, do we got time? We should probably go
2: you know. We'll go ahead. To go to TJ. Mm-hmm.
4: I'll just start
5: at 38.
4: I'll just start at All right. All right. Then they will call me, but I will not answer. They will look at me, but I will not find them. Since they hated the knowledge and did not know, did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice, they spurn my rebuke. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Uh, Revelation 20.13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works.
3: So there is degree
0: through. Thank you.
3: And just lastly, if you look up the references to judgment and punishment, they are normally spoken of in terms of works, deeds, balances, and accountings. If there were no degrees, you would not need balancings, and you would not need accountings. You just, you understand what I'm saying? Bill, could you
2: talk about that in the issue of salvation? That seems to be where the crux becomes
3: confusing to people. Salvation as opposed to justice. Okay. Um, We are saved by grace. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have done nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to lose it. Uh, Are we all agreed on that point? But once you're saved... It does not mean that there will be an equality of experience in heaven And if you're unsaved that there will be an equality experience in hell And that is why God speaks about rewards uh, And rewards are things that you earn And uh, I don't know what that looks like in heaven uh, But we are. Uh, the Bible tells us that we will suffer loss Some of the things we thought were good Weren't and the, the rewards we thought we were going to gain, we won't. But before you can qualify for rewards, you have to be in the kingdom, and uh, and it's just the flip side of this judgment issue. That's part of God's justice. He rewards us, and that's why we can labor with such hope. Because God is faithful to deliver on his promises to us. And those who are more radical in relying on God's promises will be justly rewarded for doing so. And so it would be unjust of God to make Mother Teresa's experience in heaven exactly equal to mine. I simply have not sufficiently identified with Christ... Like she is. Is that uh, going to Mother? Going to Mother Teresa's example?
4: Is it because of her good deeds and your lack of
3: supposedly not good deeds, or her good deeds and your sin? Well, I know that this is a whole maybe this is a whole separate discussion faithfulness to opportunity that's one qualifier Um, the use of the talents that God has given us or stewardship obedience to God and how we accept the circumstances that God has given us in our lives so we start off with equal footing Whether you are a super intellect Born into great wealth Or semi-retarded <clears throat> It's like a race where the, sta- the track is staggered or To go around the curve But it's really the same distance for all and, and, and the fact that one guy takes him six days See I'm not competing with you I'm dealing with how I respond to my circumstances How I obey God My stewardship, my faithfulness to opportunity. I have the opportunity. See, there's no limited pie of rewards. I'm not in competition with you. I am in competition against the pull of my flesh to do all the things that God does not want me to do. You you, you see the difference?
0: Thank you. Next question is for Bob. Oh, I can see that. It's by Bob.
6: In the, the reading of Revelation and in all readings according uh, on sin, all unrepentant sin, the wages thereof is death. And in the 13th verse of the 20th chapter of uh, of revelations when it speaks to the sea gave up the dead and in the death and the grave and gave up the dead in them and they were all judged according to their deeds and death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire and all and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire at that point uh, any division or separation or gradation of sin would be cast out simply because they all would be thrown into the lake of fire that's why I, I have a difficulty in in, in understanding uh, gradations in sin I understand men believing that there is but to God all sin is as dung, and once you're thrown into the lake of fire, that would be the end of any separation or gradation of sin, and all punishment would be equal.
3: Well, uh, I don't think that's what the uh, I don't think that's what the scripture teaches. Let, and let's let's look at it.
5: Matthew 23, 15, uh,
3: 14. uh Read that. Can, oh, okay. Matthew twenty three what? Fourteen. to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive greater condemnation. Uh, there's an example, of the, the example of Tyre and Sidon, who had, um, uh, and Israel. Uh, if he, Jesus said, you know, if, if Tyre and Sidon had heard what you'd heard, they would have repented. And so your condemnation will be greater because you had much more opportunity to know, to know God and you did not take advantage of that opportunity. But but just think of fire, if you have, and remember we're dealing with metaphors, but in a fire, fire has cool spots and hot spots. In physics, all right, the law of thermodynamics. And you can position yourself in a fire so that it's hotter in one place than in another place. The mere fact that it's a lake of fire doesn't mean that there's a uniform temperature. But remember, we're dealing with a metaphor. And you had to take that metaphor in the context of the whole Word of God. And just as in His law, there were different punishments for different violations. So there are different degrees of punishment in hell. Nobody wants to be there, brother, let me tell you. Nobody wants to be there. But the gradations are such. Like I say before, a man would give up everything he owned to have one less sin to suffer for in hell.
0: Thank you. We have several questions, so we'll move along here. Uh, Next question is for Bob. Uh, Several times you spoke of a meaningful prayer life. Could you please describe what that looks like? Any thoughts on uh, what you did personally to help you get to that point? Oh,
4: Mark 1.35, and rising up a great while before day, Jesus went out into a solitary place and prayed. And uh, then the verses that follow, one of the busiest days of his life. Um, so when I got right with God at age of 30, God did it. He turned my clock around because I'd been a night person all during my college coaching days. And uh, I never dreamed that I would get up early in the morning. But I was being mentored uh, by some fellows that were doing it. And uh, just as an illustration, I was coaching and uh, Wheaton Prep School, high school, and uh, my wife invited a family to come and stay with us, and I was rather irritated uh, that uh, she did it, uh, but uh, they came, and I was watching Friday Night Boxing, or li- uh, this was before TV. I was listening to it uh, from Madison Square Gardens, and the guy came down from upstairs and uh, wanted to know if he could have some uh, milk for their little baby which meant I had to leave in the third round and go out in the kitchen and get him some milk. And then while I was out there, he wanted to know if he could have a pan with some water in it so he could heat it up. And by the time I got down there, why the whole round was gone, and uh, that bothered me. And uh, now it's the sixth round, and he's back down again. And he, wants, he wants to know if he can have an alarm clock. And I said, Charlie, tomorrow morning is Saturday. You're going to sleep in. No, he said, I'm going to get up, uh, spend a little extra time with God. And I said, well, extra time with God. He said, well, it's nice outside. I think I'll go for a walk. And then he put the hooker in. He said, would you like to join me? And there was so much pride in me, as there still is, and I wasn't going to be second man to anybody. He said, well, uh, I usually get up early anyway. And uh, since you've never been here to our town, I don't want you to get lost. And uh, so uh, we went for a walk, and uh, the athletic field was about three blocks from our home. And uh, we walked around that athletic field, and uh, he shared from the Word of God. And then he said, uh, let's pray. He said, I'll pray first if you grab my arm, because he said, I close my eyes. And I felt so stupid walking around the athletic field holding this guy's arm and wondering because the doctor was over there, the head of the physical education department lived over there, Uh, One of the professors lived over there watching me at 6.45 in the morning holding this guy's arm walking around the field. But that's how I learned to have a quiet time. And the two weeks that they lived with us, every morning except Sunday, we got up and walked around that athletic field, and he taught me how to have a quiet time. I did it with him. His name is Charlie Riggs. He's been in charge of the Billy Graham follow-up for some 25 years. Now lives in Canyon City. And uh, that's how I got started. Uh, just uh, sharing the Word uh, from the heart. I usually take a song book. I can't sing. Uh, I'd love for TJ to teach me how to do some things, but I just love to sing some of the old gospel songs to myself. I have a devotional. And by the way... Walt Hendrickson has just come up with a new devotional for men. I want you to get it. It is the best thing. I, I've gone through a lot of devotionals. Would you agree? It is excellent. What's the name of it?
1: Thoughts from a Desperate Man. Or Diary of a desperate
4: man. Yeah, the Diary of a Desperate Man. Walt decided that title before he ever started writing the, uh, the devotional. But I read that every morning. Mm. Uh, and it—it it, just one key thought. And uh, if you know Walt or if you've heard anything about him, uh, this is at his best. And uh, then I have some prayer time. Uh, and I i vary my quiet time. But it's anywhere from oh, 10, 15 minutes up to an hour, an hour and 20 minutes.
0: Okay? Thanks. I think... Uh guys looked into getting some of those available for this retreat, and the printing is still being done on them, and they weren't able to get any of those, so.
4: Well, they're all done. They just need to get them here now from Hong Kong.
0: Who's the author's name again? Hendrickson. Paul Henrickson. Paul okay.
5: Henrickson. H-E-N-D. He, if not to until early May, and we'll order some of those so we, we can have
0: access to them from them. Paul will be here. He's planned to be here to year. Uh, Winston, I have a question for you. How do you explain the uh, contradictions that we see in the various church organizations?
2: I
7: want
1: to thank the brother that asked me that question. Let me make a comment or two. I wouldn't be so presumptuous to tell you I know the answer to that. I think uh, I think the the passage out of Mark ten we talked about this morning and John and James in their response right after the Lord Jesus told them what he was going to do is. Uh, it's so natural for all of us, on an individual basis and in a collective basis, that um, you really have to work at faith, or you really have to work at trusting God to not go there. And uh, the truth of the matter is all of us go there individually, at times, do we not? And so when you put a group of people together in an organization or a church or whatever, uh, you're going to see it there also. And it's just... uh, I think it's a reflection of our frailty and our uh, uh, insecurity of uh, not resting in God. Having said that, I think there's um, there's a propensity for all of us to want to um, make our life count for something. And um, God wants us to make our life count for something. But He said make it in the eternal, not in the temporal. Because the temporal is going to burn. And it's awfully hard for us with that desire to... Create something, and I think that doesn't come out of sin. I think it comes out of the uh, being created in the image of God. God is a creator, and so that's even though we've skewed why sin, being created in the image of God, we still have that desire want to make our life count. And so, if we're not careful, we can begin to try to uh, create control, count, and we want that feedback. See if we're doing okay. And in this morning, I just barely touched on it, but in in the business and professional uh, arena, uh, under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God, we can do that to a certain degree. We can go out. I can go out and... Build a pro- housing project, you know, and uh, I now I can count how many I've built. I can see it. I can get some feedback, and uh, I like that because that tends to give me some um, some worth. Now that's invalid source of looking for my significance and my worth, but the truth of the matter is that's what I do. when we go over to the kingdom of God and begin to serve God, um, how do you measure? God, It says God is spirit. And so the work of God is spiritual. How do you measure the spirit of God? You can't measure that. You know. How do you control it? You can't. You know. How do you create it? You can't. And so that forces us into a a posture of absolute dependency and it forces us to begin that's why pursuing our relationship with God is so important because to the degree that we're deriving our security and significance out of our relationship with Christ will be to the degree that we can resist deriving our significant trying to derive our significance and our security out of what we do, our works, whether it's in the business world or whether it's in, if you want to call it ministry, you know. So. Bill, um,
0: speaking for all the single men in the world, how can, you, how can we go into a marriage without having the void of intimacy filled?
3: Read that again.
0: Speaking for the single men in the world, how can we go into a marriage, enter into a marriage, without having the void of intimacy filled?
3: Um, I'm not sure I understand that question. Could the author articulate it for a? Tell me what you're saying so I can get it better. Come on, Fessa. <laughs>
0: I wonder if it's not uh, in... Oh, i I didn't write it. What I, I, if I may uh,
6: try and bring some clarification to what he's asking, how can you go into a marriage, in this day and age, go into a marriage union with a woman, not having intimate, intimacy with her prior to our
3: uh, if... if
2: Sexual.
3: Okay. A friend of yours wrote that. Is that right,
2: Jeffrey? Well,
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's a friend of a friend. For That's right. your friend.
2: I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding.
3: For, for, your, friend. for, for your friend. For your friend. For your friend. <laughs> well, you, you know, um, let me. Um, it, it's a it's it's a it's a question that arises both from our culture, our culture's preoccupation with illicit sex, and from a culture that is performance based. Um, and from a culture that doesn't understand that the satisfaction of sex is a spiritual gift from God. And so we think that in order to get it right, we have to practice like we do basketball so that our performance will be right. Um, And uh, the fact is that it is better to go into marriage ignorant in that sense than to go into marriage uh, practiced but uh, uh, having sinned against God. Uh, you will learn how to satisfy your wife by learning to satisfy your wife. Practicing on her or another woman only stands for with another woman it doesn't teach you anything about your wife and practicing with your wife only if you love her you've only drawn her into sin if you respect her and you fear god you will preserve her chastity and your chastity until marriage and let god teach you in time in time how you please and satisfy one another and that comes with time, it comes with mutual submission You're not going to get it out of a manual Unless it's the Bible and the Song of Solomon You're not going to get it from a video You're not going to get it from television You get the opposite So since God created it He will, is the one who will give us the satisfaction and the, And the sense of intimacy that we desire from the sexual union Since only He can provide it it, it, it is logical that we had to do it his way. If that was the question.
5: Yes.
2: Can I, just,
0: can I just stay with that one? One thing, just to take it one step further. Um, prior to being a believer, having already gone through a life of sin and you know having fallen on those on these topics, and now turning and trying to raise sons and daughters, uh, you know it's not. I, I, I guess I'm struggling still they're at the age where I have maybe another minute or two to think about this you know before they rush into this but uh, uh, is honesty the best policy what, what kind of you know how do you deal with your own fallenness and your sin prior to coming to the Lord and now shepherding your own flock through this period of you know going towards adolescence and then puberty and stuff like that and I, I aim it at anybody because I don't really have a clue Part of the it's a great tape it's an awesome
2: tape Bill's teaching last year David
3: and his Sons right and
0: uh, well, again, have... tape is David and what? with Richard. it
2: was about David David and Absalom David, David and, and
3: Absalom. Absalom what was the title of the Fathers tape? Fathers and Sons Fathers and Sons uh, and just the brief point is the fact that you have sinned in the past does not disqualify you as a father from leading your children in righteousness. You are obligated to lead them in righteousness despite the mistakes you made in the past. Because then none of us would be qualified to lead our children. And as a practical matter, if we know, if we are dry if we have driven a car without brake fluid and crashed it and been injured, and we know that our
4: well, I was going to just go back on the intimacy. Um, little girls should learn in- intimacy from their daddy. Uh, there comes a time in a little girl's life when she's no longer attached to the mother because now there's a male uh, man there. And if she is cuddled by him and kissed by him and caressed correctly by him as a father... Boy, this means a lot to that little girl. Uh, well, you know, just uh, from the time when you sense that she's passing from uh, the mother, uh, well, even before that, I, uh, I think the relationship of a father to the daughter is so key. And a lot of girls have never had that. In fact, uh, statistics show that most girls that have premarital uh, sex and so forth... Have not had a good relationship with their father. And I see it at the ranch. Uh, the guy, the boys come there and they want to get around the machinery. They want to get around the cars or athletics and sports. Little girls, they want to be around the horses. Why? Because it's something that they can, uh, groom, uh, they can put their arms around, uh, and a girl and a horse are just like meat and potatoes. It, they just go together. It, it, it's, it's in the girl's instinct. And that's where they begin to learn this intimacy. And same thing with uh, a mother and her son. Now, Dad has a real relationship with you boys. But uh, you guys learn the ways of a woman from, from the mother. And if that doesn't begin early in the, in the life of the family... Then, when they get up into the teens and the twenties and so forth, and then when they get ready for marriage, how are they going to know what intimacy is? Mm-hmm. I got a question.
5: I'll My uh, niece turns
3: 17. While, while he gets the mic, I want to I want to make sure we understand intimacy. I am not equating intimacy with sex sexual intimacy is one thing but there is emotional intimacy there is spiritual intimacy and so all of that dovetails and it goes together you can be intimate with your bride to be without having sexual relations and you should practice that kind of intimacy what does she enjoy what does she fear? what are her hopes she should have a sense of safety and protection around you and, and young guys, uh, uh, my sons never talk to me on this issue unless their friends are around. And I notice it always comes from the friend rather than my, my sons. But they ask me, Mr. McCarran, what, what does it take? And, and I decide to be very blunt with them. And I'll tell them, I said, if you, if, if one of the things you want to do when you're checking out your spouse-to-be, if you're a girl, if you're a girl, you find out how that boy treats his mother because if he doesn't treat his mother with affection and respect and tenderness he won't treat you that way now it'll start out that way because he's got his new and it's wonderful and all that but after a while and I don't know whether that's six months after marriage or whatever but first time she tells you to pick up your clothes all you hear is your mom you understand and you're going to be on her and you're going to resent it and I'll tell the child just the other the the, the girl the other way you watch or the boys you watch how your daughter the daughter your girl to be responds to her father if she's resentful of her father she's always biting at him he's he's, the father speaks to her and she rolls her eyes you better watch out because she's going to treat you the same way soon so I said if you want to practice Being a good husband, treat your mother and the women in your family with affection and respect now. Young boys, if you're 13, 14 years old, the way you are treating your mother now is the way you're going to treat your wife.
5: I noticed my sister, when she started to go through puberty, my dad, he took his hands off completely. And... In hindsight, I think that's one of the things that led my sister into premarital sex. I can't say that for certain, I don't know. But in observ- uh, just observing this, I was getting to the point where my niece, this little eight-year-old that I knew, turned 17, comes home from college, fully developed woman, I'm sitting on the couch, she plops herself into my lap. I felt very funny about it. I felt like I was almost cheating on my wife, it just felt weird. And I thought, now her dad took off. So she has no father or no male anybody to touch her, hug her, or anything, you know? So I'm sitting there, like stiff, like what am I going to do, you know? And then I put my hand on her and just, like I did when she was eight. And now I'm going through the same thing. My daughter is developing into a woman. I feel funny. Sometimes I'll look. I think it's my wife. Not... Then I'm not confusing the issue, you know, but I'm saying I have these moments where I'm thinking this is totally whacked out. If I just feel funny about it. And I, I, I think you started to address that where, I don't know, take it away from me. So I'm saying any more
2: things.
3: This is very, very wise. Um, yeah. um, my daughter is 12. And I hug her. I kiss her. Uh, I go out on dates with her. I open the door for her. Um, I treat her like a young lady. She now she's too big to sit on my lap. She is big girl now. And I say but she loves to sit on my lap and curl up. And frankly, it 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 kind of for me I, every once in a while it's irritating because I can't right. see the television. <laughs> but you know, this is gentlemen I am prepared I'm doing two things I am protecting her from emotional starvation so that she won't have to turn to an alternative when she needs nurturing and affection and love and tenderness if she needs to practice how to be coy and flirtatious you know those kinds of things I'm not talking about sexual because that's nowhere in her mind She doesn't quite know what she's doing, but it's part of her growing up. I'm her practice person. You know, she's always going to be my little girl. Now to this day When her mother goes away She likes to crawl in bed with me I hate it Because I sleep nude I got to get up Put on some pajama pants And get back in bed Do you understand what I mean? And, and, and so you work through those things But the issue The issue is I am, I am equipping her To be able to judge a man Without emotional deficiencies That blind her judgment You understand? And and secondly, I am letting her grow easily into the role of womanhood without false acceleration. I mean, a girl today at 14 or 15 with makeup and clothing can look like she's 20 years old. And, and, and so they accelerate, and I don't want my daughter to accelerate, and I don't want her to feel the emotional need to accelerate. Out won- to the ranch. <laughs> yeah, that's
4: right. I, I, we won't let her accelerate.
7: I would, um, John. I would. I would say that. Um, I, I have, along with my son, I have, I have three daughters. They're aged 20. One would be 18 next month and then a nine-year-old. And I I thank God that my 20 and my 18-year-old are as old as they are in this day and age and do not have one child, okay? And as they were growing up, they're actually my stepdaughters, the older two. I've always, you know, walk up and give them a kiss, give them a hug, you know. They would plop down in my lap until they got to be developed, (laughs) you know. And it was uncomfortable. But I understand that they need, they do need that that um that emotional bond with me as as their dad i'm their dad i'm not their father i'm their daddy okay and there is a difference and uh, even now my the 18 year old you know she's a typical teenager she goes and hibernates in her room when i do see her i make it a point that i at least kiss her on her forehead thank you
3: One obvious point I think this is obvious But it may be It may escape us The intimacy That your children learn Will be modeled at home How do you treat your wife? Your daughter will pick up the cues From how you treat your wife And your sons will definitely If you uh, 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 speak to your wife Disrespectfully You are preparing your son To be a lousy husband Because see they will take the bad habits and multiply it. You understand? It won't keep it on the same level. So you want to make sure that around the home, demonstrate affection for your wife and intimacy and show them that it it, it can include things in addition to sex, like just holding a hand or giving a back rub or whatever.
0: We'd, uh, we'd like to get to some questions on ministry if we could. Um, is that all right? Thank you. It will be available. Um,
2: Bob,
0: um, what are some uh, ways we can approach other men? Invite them to go through first steps and uh, Operation Timothy, and. What kind of questions and comments can we anticipate from them?
2: Tell them you have a great opportunity for them where they can make a lot of money.
0: (laughs) But you can't tell them what it is. Thanks, Bob.
4: (laughs) Uh, Go ahead, TJ. Just follow through (laughs) on that.
2: No, I I think,
4: uh, what were you going (laughs)
1: to (laughs) say? I should know better than to tangle with any of you guys.
4: (laughs) What was the question?
0: (laughs) What are some of the ways we can approach uh, men to invite them to go through a First Steps or Operation Timothy?
4: Relationship. Developing a relationship with them uh, so they want to. Uh, You know, there's nothing greater than when a fella wants to do it. You know, it's just... uh, I used Charlie Riggs. I, in pride, went out for that walk with him. But after that first morning, I realized he had something I didn't have, and I wanted it. And so I asked. I said, uh, "You're leaving early in the morning to go speak someplace here in Chicagoland. Uh, You gonna do this Monday morning?" And he said, "Yeah." I said, "What time?" I was up and had the coffee ready. And you know, I I wanted, I wanted it. And uh, (laughs) you know. uh, hungry for it and uh, thirsting for it does the deer after the water brooks uh, pray uh, pray for a guy that's where that uh, prayer list that you were showing us uh, not only for their salvation but i have a prayer list for guys that uh, will i'd like to spend some time in discipleship uh, i had no problem with uh, a head wrangler uh because Brad the previous head wrangler and the guy that was a head wrangler before him uh I've been spending time with them so uh, when Brad left to uh, to go to Arkansas to work uh, he said to Dace he said uh, one thing you want to do is get a hold of Bob and get some time with him and so he came to me and so I asked him I said what do you want to get out of this time together I let them set the agenda uh and sometimes uh has nothing to do with spiritual things at first uh he wanted to talk about horses you know and the feeding of the cattle and and uh working with his men on on the team but uh eventually we got around that he needed to have a definite quiet time he needed to get into the word Uh, he needed to know how to share christ and uh out of that then came the i don't show him the material at first i I just try to share my heart. I get him to talk. Tell me about yourself. I want to get to know him, and I want him to get to know me. And then the materials will come later on. Thank you. 2 Timothy 2 2. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, that four generation. Don't let discipleship in just with you and another guy make sure that that the daces and the brads and the bobs of my life are doing it them and if they're not doing what i'm doing with him then i'm doing something wrong or there's something wrong with him that he does not want to do with with his guys what he's getting it's got to get down that third
0: fourth generation thank you i'll uh, leave this one open um we're all familiar with um, what's happened at at Columbine High School in Littleton and uh, the question is how can we use that as we go back to our communities from this weekend to minister to the people around us
2: well
4: you've heard the story about these guys came into this one classroom and said, "Are there any athletes in here?" This is who they're after—trenchcoat mafia—and uh, there's a real. They've been that rivalry ever since uh, last fall football season. And uh, uh, are there any uh, Afro-Americans in here? Are there any Christians And this uh, little? Kathy stood up, and says, "Yes, I'm a Christian," and they shot her. And you know, it's just uh, as we we're talking at breakfast this morning. How many of us would stand up for that identification? I think it's a great story that uh, comes out of that uh, to illustrate, you know, take, that little girl took her stand for Christ. <laughs> and whether she knew all the implications or why they were even asking it or what the consequences would be, that's one one good thing that come out of it. It's united the uh, whole southwest part of Denver together together um, doing a lot of serious thinking and putting guards at the doors and uh, patrolling the hallways and everything else, you know, that's not going to be the total answer. Uh, as one news commentator I heard out of Denver, KOA, said, it looks to me like the answer is that there's got to be a change of heart among our teenagers. Wow. That was a secular man. Uh, Bob, uh, Jerry Spence, was interviewed and said the same thing. You know, the, one side was talking about gun control. That's the answer. We've got to have more gun control. And Jerry, I, I don't know a whole lot about him personally. I, I like the way the man speaks. He appears to be very conservative. But he said uh, gun control is not the answer. The, the problem is, is is the heart. It's just, it's wicked. And it is getting
2: more wicked. It has to be with. No. I thought that was great. And both the
4: boys came from dysfunctional families. One boy, his family lives on a half a million dollar home right up home the rocks. Beautiful, beautiful home. You know, upper income bracket, uh, basically kids. So it wasn't a matter of money or didn't have anything. now, it, it,
0: uh, yeah. um, let's see here. Winston, could you talk about um, devotion time uh, with our wives, how important you think that is?
1: I think, um, first of all, hopefully your your wife's a believer. That's... uh, that's a gift in itself. I, uh, I really agonize with some brothers that uh, their wives haven't come to Christ yet. and uh, um, I think one of the things that... Uh, in fact, uh, we were talking at lunch today that uh, um, we... Uh, first of all, male and female we all know is so we're so different you know God's just created us so differently but beyond that is individuals just as individuals he's created us so differently and uh, so um, I think the devotional life uh, together uh, there, there's not any set pattern or way that ought to look and I think we got to be careful that we don't um, uh, develop uh, unbiblical expectations of our spouse in that area. Um, for example, I'm a morning person, and my wife's a night person. And uh, so, for us, for us, uh, it's uh, it's at night. Do we do it every night? For us, we don't. Uh, I do it when she's when she wants to do it. I may mention it, but she can say yes or no. And right now, quite frankly, we're we're uh, walking through uh, Walt's uh, devotional together. And uh, so every night we just have a little time to read that together, and uh, then we just kind of talk about it, have some prayer. Um, I know I know guys that have a lot more rigid uh, type of uh, devotion with their wife, um, and uh, there's not a right and wrong with it. I think as leaders, we need to uh, throw that throw that out. But I was I was telling a brother at, at lunch that it took me it took me a while to learn that that. My, my wife is a, is a godly woman, and uh, she, um, but her style is different. And uh, I've got to tell you, I, it took me a while to, to think that she could be a godly woman and not get up early and have a quiet time. You know? Now, she has hers in her own way and in her own time. And uh, for me to back off... And, and Because, you know, if we have expectations, they know it. We don't have to verbalize them. They know it. And give her the freedom to be who she is in Christ. And then, uh, But, I don't know, when, when I study, for example, I will, uh, I'll run things by her. And that gets her to thinking about it. And then we'll, we'll find ourselves talking about it. Or if, if God really shows me something, you know, in my quiet time. Well, I may share that with her and that may or may not precipitate some time. So it's, for us, it hasn't been a, we haven't made a law out of it and, and become rigid, but I look for opportunities. And the same way with my kids is, um, is, um, and I, I got to tell you, I, um, I don't speak on raising children. Uh, <laughs> because I, um, I love what Lawrence Sany said. Um, uh, Lawrence Sany is the the man that was the head of the Navigators for years and a very, very close friend of Bob's. And uh, somebody asked him one day, a bunch of guys said, uh, well, Mr. Sandy, now that all your kids are gone and, uh, and they're grown and out and so on, he said, what would you say to your kids? And... Uh, Mr. Sandy thought a while, and then he said, oh, I'd tell them two things. One is I love them, and two is I'm sorry. (laughs) And that's the way I feel about my kids. But uh, with the kids, I tried to, uh, one of the things I did try to do was take events, for example, uh, just the one we're talking about in Denver, and try to put a, a biblical... Perspective on it, and and then we talk about it through the paradigm, and that might just happen at the dinner table, you know, and just throw it out, and then sometimes they bite on it. My gosh, we might spend an hour with you know, but you're impacting their thinking, and that's that's what we're after. And so it is with our wives, you know. I remember one time, I'll never forget it, years ago, my daughter was probably maybe sixth grade or so on. And Howard Hughes. Remember Howard Hughes? At the time, he was one of the richest. And he died that day. And I said, uh, at the dinner table, I said, I wonder how much he was worth. And the sixth grade girl said, "Uh, nothing today, uh, Dad. (laughs)
2: Wow.
1: I thought, (laughs) yeah. So I don't know whether that answers the question or not, but. uh. Chester.
8: That Colorado issue kind of uh, touched me in a way. I mean, I got three small children myself, and I know seeing a young man here, it it is a blessing that we got a. we have fathers that brought the children. I mean, or their sons. But um, I think a, a word, a, a word of just wisdom, growing up. You know, looking at um, talking to your children, spending more time. And you know, we had a brother that was that was going to actually come out with us. But I talked to the brother Jeff yesterday and wondered why he didn't come. And he was like, "Well, I wanted to be at my daughter's track meet.
7: Oh.
8: All right. I, I mean, I prayed about it, but I felt that I needed to be there." with my daughter. I send blessings, traveling mercy to you all, make sure you all get there, um, but I need to be with my daughter. And thinking about that, it kind of like answered the question, you know, we need to spend just that much more time with our children, you know, uh, instead of saying, well, you know, I got to run to the office, I'll be back in 15 minutes when you know it's going to take an hour to actually be there on time, and then it goes to that point of, my pastor's uh, sister was telling me about about the daughter, about the daughter growing up. I got two daughters. I'm like, man, how would I, how would I want a, a man to treat my daughter? Well, like I would want to treat my wife, or like I've been treating my wife, try, or trying to treat my wife, learning how to, um, being her first date, taking her out, doing the things that we know as men that we should do to a woman that we care about, not just our mothers, but our grandmothers, aunts, and so forth. So in all this coming to. Uh, scenario as for as children and feeling bad i've really feeling I'm, i feel mercy and, and uh sorrow for the parents that innocent children died that that's that's a, a thing just to picture you know your child goes to school one day you kiss them you see them and the next thing you know you're getting a call saying ma'am sir your child is dead that that hurts i mean i'm my heart is thump going real fast now because i wouldn't even want to stomach that or you picture me going to school lord knows what i would do and how i would feel and how i feel with those for those parents so um Looking at it I think we need to spend just that much more time with our children instead of palming stuff off I mean we've all we all might be guilty of that sin making promises then breaking them or to our wives and so forth but reality is in order for this not to happen again we know what we need to do as men Alright? Right right.
0: want to take time for one more question. We're running into the R&R time a little bit. You can't do that. We don't need to r and be our last question here. Um, as I'm trying to, uh, as we are trying to minister to uh, unbelievers, how can we get them past their view of Jesus as a historical figure as a, a good teacher and move him into a, a biblical uh, framing of Jesus Christ our God and, and Savior
1: I mentioned this earlier and and I uh... I'll mention it again because gentlemen I have to uh, I have to go back and review it continually as I uh, get involved in men's lives believers non-believers it doesn't make any difference And, and the fact is that it's God who does the work in a man's life we can present the gospel but unless There's the working of the Holy Spirit and that mysterious transaction that happens that has happened to us and yet we don't know what happened to us. You know what I mean? And so it is with those men that are are non-believers. And so we don't contribute anything, but we can participate in God's process of drawing men to to himself. And the three things I mentioned this morning, and, and, and I have to go back, and, and sometimes when I do, is when I have set up expectations in my own mind of men and I find myself getting frustrated with them, then I know that I have, I'm trying to, to do something beyond what I'm called to do or out of my control. And that is, there's only three things that we can be involved in in another person's life that is going to change them. And one is prayer. That's the activation of the Holy Spirit. Prayer for men. And that will change them. That will change them. Secondly is the Word of God, the Holy, the Holy Word. And uh, I, have never, I have never met with a man that would meet... Uh, I'm talking about non-believers now. That would meet with me on a consistent basis with the Scriptures that he hasn't come to Christ. And just to, because it's not me, anyone could have done it. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, what that—the form of that—I don't—I don't know what it looks like. It may be just for a while, just you know, sharing a little something with him when he will. He'll dictate what that looks like. But you, somehow, you got to get him exposed to the Word of God. Somehow, the gospel and so on. And then, thirdly, is is the holy life. And you say, "Gosh, I'm not holy." Well, when we when we rest in Christ, Christ lives through us. The fruit of spirit are not something you go out and say, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness in my life today." No, 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 no. Good luck. <laughs> we yield ourselves to Christ and say your will not my will live through me today and we don't even know it's happening but they see it they see the light if you will and uh, that's why the basis for all ministry is our intimate relationship with God and our continually pursuing to know him better that I may know him And the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of His suffering. And so, outside of those three things, gentlemen, manipulation, uh, I don't recommend. Is there a man here that likes to be manipulated? We resent it, don't we? And we should resent it. And so do they. Just love them. Spend time with them. Serve them, and gentlemen, there is no defense. There is absolutely no defense to a guy that just comes and serves you with no agenda except your best interest, the gospel. There's no, there's no defense. He'll be, he, he'll wonder what in the world's wrong with this guy, or when's the, wh- wh- yeah, when's the other shoe gonna fall? And you just keep loving him, and you keep loving him, and you keep loving him. And pretty soon, you know what he's seeing? He's seeing Jesus. That's what he needs to see. And then, and so I just think those three things, and beyond that, I think it's a, those are futile activities if we try to do anything other than that. But we can do all three of those, and we let him decide what level that is. So, be a friend to him.
3: Um, I know we're going to end. I'd just like to throw out a, a, a suggestion to you guys that a brother in Christ shared with me a long time ago because we got young guys here. Uh, what's the second most important decision you make in your life? Who you're gonna marry. Say it, Gar. Who
5: you're going to marry.
3: Who you marry. First one, of course, is Jesus. But the second most impactful decision you make is who you marry. And so, when a brother told me that, I started praying once a week for my children's spouses. And I've done that now for almost 20 years. That That God would prepare my sons to be godly husbands and would bring them godly wives. And while my daughter was still in the womb, not knowing what her sex was, I started praying then for the spouse for that child. Pray. For your child's spouse, and pray that God would make your begin preparing your son or daughter to be a godly husband and a godly daughter. Pray for it. The
0: the um, let me start over. I can I can uh, share a little bit on that. Um, my uh, wife's sister is 13 years older than she. And um, the day um, that they arrived to attend our wedding, um, I, I greeted her and she gave me a hug and she said, "You don't know this, but I've been praying for you for 14 years."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <coughs> you talk about powerful. It's part of my testimony.
2: Mm-hmm. It is
0: uh, a powerful thing. Thank God for that. Let's give our panelists a hand. Thank you Bill and Winston and Bob. We appreciate you and uh, your indulgence in our questions.
2: Um,
0: we've got, uh, R&R until 3.30. That's an hour.